Uh, Mark chapter number 2. We'll uh, begin reading in verse number 1, go down through verse number 12. It says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they had so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee? Or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Um, uh, Here we have a fairly familiar story um, for many of us. I know for me, I... As a child growing up in the Christian school, um, I had to memorize this passage once or twice or eight or nine times. Um, It seemed like every year Brother Kay had that on the list of of verses that we had to memorize. So about the, you know, I was no dummy, but about the tenth time I finally got the hang of it. Uh, Took me a while. But I finally got it. I forgot to look. I was going to look on Parker's sheet and see if this was on his sheet, if they're still saying it. Uh, but I, I forgot to do so. But it's a, a fairly familiar story to most. If, and we at least know the high points, many of us, of, um, of this story. Uh, and I'd like to go through this uh, tonight and then have a, a few points of application that I think we can get uh, for us. Every good story, whether it's short or long, has, is composed of three main parts, right? Um, you have the plot, you have the setting, And you have the characters. The setting for our story tonight um, is the city of Capernaum. Um, I say city, it's more like a fishing village. There on the shore of Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee. Um, Wasn't a large town, but did experience a whole lot of traffic. Um, It was right on a main trade route from Syria, which is in the the north, uh, that trade route would go from Syria all the way down into Egypt. And, and uh, Capernaum was one of the first stops way up north after they would, um, a trader or a traveler would leave Syria. And one of the first pit stops would be Caper- um, Capernaum. And so it was a very profitable, a profitable um, place. Um, a lot of traffic going through. Uh, this is where Jesus met Matthew. The tax collector, they're collecting taxes and called him to be a disciple. Um, Capernaum is where Simon and Andrew and James and John 
were all from, being fishermen right there on the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, it, it was a very important part of Jesus' ministry. Um, he was from Nazareth, but the most of his adult ministry was right here in this area of Capernaum um, and um, there in Galilee in the northern part of Israel. Eventually he would make his way down into Judea and to Jerusalem um, at the end of his ministry. Uh, but a lot of his miracles, a lot of his teaching, a lot of his preaching took place up here in the north. And in Matthew chapter 11, it says that, um, that Jesus rebuked the city of Capernaum, saying that if, if other cities would have heard the teaching and seen the miracles that he performed in their town and in their area, then uh, uh, cities such as Tyre and Sidon would have repented, but instead they were destroyed, and he... Uh, and he was really harsh on the town of, of Capernaum for not, uh, for not uh, receiving, not repenting of their sin. Uh, our text opens in verse number 1 and says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days. See, up, he had previously been in Capernaum, and up in chapter number 1, Jesus told his disciples, Hey, let's go to other towns in the area, and let's preach the gospel. So they left Capernaum and went to other villages, went to other towns. He wasn't just focused on, on one place. He was um, going about and he was telling the other people in the area, um, preaching to them um, the salvation message, the gospel message, performing miracles. Uh, we see during, uh, through other um, gospel accounts, during this time, Jesus' fame began to rise. Again, Capernaum being a trade, uh, on the trade route, much traffic going through that town. And people would travel through and they would see Jesus' miracles. And they would hear about him and they'd hear his preaching, hear his teaching. Uh, then that word would spread throughout the land. He, again, he, he traveled to these other towns preaching and teaching, performing miracles. And his fame began to grow so that um, everywhere he went, as soon as he went into a town, um, a, a crowd flocked to him, as we'll see in just a second. Um, got to the point that, you know, he had to just get away. Had to tell us, hey, we got to get away. We need some time by ourselves um, at different times. So after preaching throughout Galilee, um, he and his disciples made their way back to Capernaum. Perhaps um, so his disciples could have time with their families there that lived there in Capernaum. Um, so that Jesus could, um, could get away. Um, and it didn't take long, though, that we see in verse 1, it says, it was noise that he was in the house. Um, whose house was, Jesus's, was Jesus in? Not real sure about that. It, it may have been Peter's house. In chapter 1, they were at Peter's house. Um, it could have been um, a house of, of one of the other disciples. It could have just been where, where Jesus was living. He spent a lot of his time in Capernaum, so no doubt he had some housing arrangement there. Um, it could have been the house that he was residing in. Not sure, uh, but, but pretty soon it was noised. It, the word got out in the city. Hey, Jesus is here. Hey, Jesus is over here in this neighborhood. Jesus is in this house. And it didn't take long for a, for a crowd to swell. Verse number 2, it says, And straightway many were gathered together. Insomuch that there was no room to receive them, 
No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. So many people showed up uh, to this house that it was completely filled. Could you imagine that? Being in this house where um, it's, it's filled up, um, it's to the door, another person can't walk in, it's completely filled. Kind of reminds me of maybe a Knutson family gathering or something. Um, eventually, I think they just gave up trying to be in houses, and now they come and use the fellowship hall uh, for their big family gatherings. But this house was completely filled, and, and so much so that there are people outside trying to get in. Uh, and so I, I, I can imagine with me here, Jesus is sitting in the house, um, perhaps in the corner up against a wall, and he has a little bit of space around him, maybe um, four or five feet, not, not a whole lot. And he's sitting there. And then over here on the side, you have some scribes sitting down, um, um, not there to, to hear and to receive Jesus' teaching, but there to, uh, to critique his teaching and see if they could find something, uh, something that, that he says that's incorrect or, um, or something that they could charge him with. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah, so they were sitting over there listening. And you have maybe some people sitting here on the front row. They're in the front. You have people standing in the back, people lining the walls, the windows open, people outside the house listening through the windows, trying to hear the preaching, trying to hear the teaching. You have the door open, people standing in the doorway and out into the yard. They're trying to... I'm listening, waiting for somebody to leave to use the restroom so they can get their spot um, right in there. And, and, um, and, and he's here and he's teaching. And, and then all of a sudden, four men show up uh, outside as he's preaching the gospel. Four men arrive. They're a little late, but they have a reason. They're carrying a fifth man. They're carrying a, a, a man in a bed, and this man, the Bible says, is sick of the palsy, which means that, that he was paralyzed to some extent. Uh, he had no strength in his legs, and so he was bedridden. And uh, these men, uh, these four men brought this man sick of the palsy. They had heard, hey, Jesus is in town. Jesus, is performing, Jesus has performed miracles before Maybe if we get this guy over to Jesus, maybe Jesus could heal him. Uh, and so they, uh, and so they, they brought this, this fifth man to Jesus. Don't know the relationship uh, that would have been here. Maybe it was their friend, maybe a family member, uh, uh, any number of things. But they couldn't get into Jesus. The entire house was full. There's no room for them. They tried to get in. They tried to ask, hey, can we get through to no avail? Hey, can we get our friend in there to see Jesus? Nobody was giving up their spot. Other people wanted to be there to see Jesus. And so they had this broad idea to climb onto the roof of this house, uh, which the Jewish houses had, had a flat roof um, traditionally, and, um, and they, had a lad they would have a ladder or even a staircase to get up there to use as a balcony. Um, at times, many times. And so they made their way to the roof and they began to tear a hole into the roof. They lower this guy down into the house. Now put yourself inside the house and you're sitting there listening to Jesus teach and all of a sudden 
something falls from the sky. And Jesus looks up, and he stops, and everybody looks up, and all of a sudden, pieces of the roof start to fall. And you look up, and, and it starts getting pulled away. And pretty soon, there's a guy falling from the sky, falling from the roof into the house. Uh, and, and, sit, and now sitting there. Verse number 5 says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. When Jesus saw their faith, Jesus saw the faith that those five men demonstrated. Not just the four men that brought him in, but also the faith of, of, of uh, the man who was sick. He had to, take, he had to have some ownership in this. Uh, no doubt he was part of this, um, con- this, uh, this plan to get himself to Jesus. And, and Jesus looked at him and he said, Thy son, thy sins be forgiven thee. He forgave him of his sins on that day. After he saw the faith that they had, that he was the son of God, that he was able to heal, he, for- he forgave the man's sins. And I remember sitting off to the side of the scribes. They were sitting by, doubting in their heart the validity of what Jesus just said. They can't forgive sins. The only person, the only one who can forgive sins is God. And, and they're thinking this, they're thinking in their heart, they're thinking in their head. This isn't God. What's he doing? He can't forgive sins. Who does he think he is? Um, they're, they're, they're calling him a blasphemer in their mind. And Jesus heard these thoughts, read their feelings, and he, and he responded. Which right then should have been enough for these scribes to have faith that this was who he, that Jesus is who he said he was. Um, he ne- they never verbally announced it, but Jesus looked and um, said, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Hey, uh, Jesus then continues to heal the man who is sick. He says, All right. Rise up and walk. Take thy bed and go to thy house. And the man got up, took his bedroll, and walked out. I, I'm sure that, that a, a path to the door quickly opened up at that point when this guy stood up. And it left the crowd there speechless. They, well, they glorified God. They said, we've never seen anything like this before. This is amazing. This is incredible. How in the world did this happen? I want you to draw your attention back up to verse number 3. It says, And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. As I read uh, this passage, uh, you you look at Jesus being obviously a main part of the passage, and and the man sick of the palsy being a main character of this story. But I think of these four men who played an integral role in this story in bringing their friend to Jesus so that Jesus could change his life. And, and I want to point out some things about these men, I think some characteristics that they had that we ought to have in regards to bringing others toward, to Christ as well. As we seek to invite others to church, and we seek to reach our lost friends and family members and co-workers for the Lord, these are five things that, 
that, that these four men had and that we ought to have as well. Number one, they cared. They cared. When, when these four men saw their friend, they understood his need. Uh, perhaps this paralyzed man was just a friend of these guys. We don't know the relationship there. He could have been a lifelong friend of these other men. Could have been a family member. He could have been a friend of a friend. For all we know, this man was simply a beggar out on the side of the road, and these men had never even met him before. But he asked him, guys, hey, I heard that Jesus is, is in a house across town, and I heard that he can heal people. Would you help me get to him, and maybe Jesus will heal me? Whatever it was, whatever the relationship was with this man who was, uh, who was of the palsy, they cared about it, and they cared for him. And they looked at his condition and they said, hey, this man is never going to be healed. He's always going to be um, uh, bedridden unless we do something, unless we try to help. We have to do something to help this man improve his situation. And so let's try and let's get him to Jesus. They cared enough about his situation, about his, uh, of the circumstances in which he found himself in, that they wanted to help. They cared for him. They didn't see the obstacle that was in their way and say, hey, this is going to be too... Man, this guy weighs too much. We're not going to be able to carry him all the way across town. They didn't get there and see the crowd and, and, and see, man, this is going to be... We're never going to get in there to see Jesus. Well, let's just, let's just drop him down here by the door. Jesus has to leave the house at some point. Maybe when Jesus leaves, he can ask Jesus to help him. No, they cared for him. So they said, hey, we're not just going to stop right here. We're going to make sure that he gets in there to see Jesus. And so they went, they did whatever it takes. And, and, and they, made, they went to extreme measures to get in there and to see Jesus because they cared about this man. I'm just going to assume that he was a friend of theirs. They, they, they cared about their friend. They cared about his condition. They understood that Jesus could be a difference. Could be the whole difference in this man's life. And they cared enough to meet that need. You know, when telling other people about Christ, or inviting them to church, the first thing that we need to do is care. The first thing. Before we invite them, before we talk to them about the Lord, even before we pray, we have to care. Because if we don't care then those other things are never going to get followed through. Um, if we lack a caring spirit for that person, we're just going to, we're just going to, fa we're going to fail to follow through at the first sign of hindrance, at the first sign of opposition. These guys didn't let the first sign of opposition stop them. They continued because they cared. They truly, truly cared about his condition. They, they said, hey, we're going to make sure that his need... Is met. We have to care more about um, others' spiritual well-being if we're going to reach them for the Lord. We have to care more about their spiritual well-being than our own comfort, than our own priorities, than what makes us feel good. We'll touch on this a little bit later, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for these men, what they had to do, uh, but they cared more about their friends than they cared about their own comfort. And sometimes we put our comfort above other people's spiritual needs. Oh, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I don't feel comfortable asking them. 
about their spiritual condition. I don't feel comfortable um, um, inviting them to church. I'll let them make their own choice. They know I go to church. Hey, 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 if you ever need anything, you know that you could come talk to me, but I'm not going to force anything upon you. Now, we need to be more caring. We need to care for those around us. And don't get me wrong, I know that for some, you care over the moon for those that you love. And so you do invite them over and over and over again, and you talk to them about the Lord over and over and over again, and you care so much. Uh, but for some of us, the reason that we have not reached anybody, the reason we have not brought anybody to church is because we simply don't care for them all that much. We care more about pleasing ourselves and more about staying in our bubble and with what we have to do. First thing we have to do is care. Number two, these men acted. They acted. They didn't just tell this guy, hey, I'll pray for you. When he said, hey, could you guys help me? Help me get to Jesus. Or Jesus is, is healing. They say, yeah, hey, we'll tell Jesus about you. You stay here and we'll, and we'll tell him. Maybe he'll heal you from there. They didn't just say, hey, we'll pray about, we'll pray about it. Um, um, we hope that you get feeling better. They, did, they, they followed through that care with action, and they did something about it. They expressed that care and that concern with action. They picked him up and said, all right, we're going to take you to meet Jesus. We're, we're going to pick you up. We're going to carry you no matter what it takes. Uh, no matter how long a walk it was across town. No matter what it's going to take once we get there, we are going to act. We're going to make sure that you get to Jesus. They carried their friend to the house, took him all the way to the roof, broke the roof, and lowered him down to the house. Again, the care that had to be had their care had to be shown through their actions. It's not just enough for us to care about those around us. It's not just enough for us to pray uh, for them. We have to follow up that care, follow up that concern with action. Think of the parable of the Good Samaritan for a second. When the man was, was um, robbed on the side of the road, beaten, left for dead, three men walked by. A, a priest, a Levite, and a man from Samaria. The priest and the Levite walked by, and I'm sure they cared. I'm sure they didn't just walk by completely hard-hearted and calloused and said, oh, I give it, I make it. That guy sure deserved what came to him. I'm not going to lend a helping hand. I'm sure they had some amount of care. I'm sure they had some amount of concern of thinking, man, I sure hope this guy's okay. But they never, they didn't follow through with that care with action. They didn't do anything about it. They just kept going. They said, oh, I, I would stop and help, but I'm, I'm in a hurry. I'm supposed to be at my next place, you know, at a certain time. I got to hustle. Maybe scared. Said, oh, this guy was, um, was beaten and robbed. The robber may still be around. i got to get out of here. I don't want to stop and, and help. They were concerned for themselves. But the, good, but the Samaritan man, he stopped. Not only did he care, but he followed through that care with action. And he helped. And he, and he, and he uh, um, used medicine and uh, nursed the, the injured man's wounds, put him on his horse, took him and paid 
for medical attention. And what did Jesus say? He said, go and do thou likewise. Don't just care for other people, but follow through that care with action. It's not enough just that we care for our lost family and friends, co-workers, customers, classmates. It's not enough that we're just concerned for their spiritual well-being. We have to follow through that care, follow through that concern with some action. Hey, would you like to go to church with me on Sunday? Hey, do you know what your spiritual condition is? Do you know where you'll go when you go to heaven? Hey, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about God? Follow through that care, that concern with some sort of action. It's not enough just to pray and and hope that they'll accept Christ one day, although that's vitally important. It's not enough that they know that we go to church. They have to see it in our lives. They have to see it lived out. And we need to follow up that care with action. So they acted. Number three, they worked together. They worked together. Uh, This wasn't a task that one of these men could could carry out on his own. Not one of these guys could uh, pick up that man, sick of the palsy, throw him over their shoulder, say, all right, let's go, and and, and make his trek toward um, uh, the town. One guy couldn't get there and throw him up onto the roof and tear the roof up, and get him in there. This was something, this was a task that was going to have to be handled with with unity, by working together, by each of the men taking a corner of the bed and saying, all right, let's go. Don't know how, again, we don't know how far they walked. Perhaps it was a long trek. Uh, Once they got there, um, they had to, to work together to figure out a plan to get in. Says they couldn't get, they couldn't see Jesus. There's too many people there. They tried, no doubt they asked, "Hey, can we get in?" It nothing worked. That everybody said no, so they had to work together to formulate a plan. Hey, we got to get this guy in there to see Jesus. What are we going to do? So one of the guys had a genius idea. Well, why don't we go up to the roof and lower him down through the roof? You know, if this was a, if these four men were the four guys on church staff. That, that one with the idea would have been Tyler, would have been Brother Tyler. He's the idea man, is he not, Brother Mike? He's the idea man. Hey, let's have, hey, I got this idea. Now it's you guys, help me out in carrying through with this idea, trying to figure it out. That's what this guy would have, hey, let's get him through the roof. They go, well, how are we going to do that? I said, I don't know, I just came up with the idea. You know, what if they would have said, that's a stupid idea, that's a stupid idea. No, we ain't going to do, that's dumb. Are going to tear up somebody's roof? You know how much that's going to cost? How are we going to repair it? Uh, we can't do that. No, they work together. And, and although it may have sounded crazy, they said, you know what, this is crazy, but it just might work. It just might work. So it, they, it took all four of them to carry them onto the roof. One couldn't do that. Two could, that was a heavy job. I wouldn't want to carry somebody on the roof of a house. That would be rough. So they, had to, they carried him up there, teamwork, worked together, began to pull the roof off, open that up, and uh, lower him down through. Um, worked together as a team, in unity. It took all four of them 
doing their part, whatever it was, to get this man in there to see Jesus. And it's important that the church work together to reach the lost. It's important that we as a congregation, as fellow believers, work together to reach those in our community with the gospel. One person can't reach the entire town. The staff alone can't reach everybody who needs to be reached. When, when, when a family comes through the doors of Fellowship Church, a Bible class leader can't get to all of them and, and thank them for coming and make them feel welcome. The staff can't get to everybody and make them feel welcome. Uh, um, it takes a, a whole group effort, a whole team effort of the entire church. It takes greeters welcoming th- um, them in. It takes um, children's church workers and nursery workers to provide child care so they can hear the gospel preached. Um, It's a whole group effort. Uh, Whenever inviting others to church, um, oftentimes it's tough to get somebody to come by ourselves. There's strength in numbers, and we might need somebody else. If you're in the workplace and you have a fellow believer with you, it might take you teaming up to get others to come to church with you. It might take multiple members of a family all inviting the same person to come to church with them, to talk to them about the Lord. I remember uh, a good friend of mine was um, coming to church here, uh, moved to San Antonio, Isaac Alanis. And Isaac, we, we talked to Isaac many times about, about accepting Christ as his Savior. And he always said no. He knew he was lost, he admitted to it that he was lost, but he was never willing, for whatever reason, to accept Christ as his Savior. And there were a whole team of people talking to him and, and talking to him and talking to him. And finally, um, at camp, after, I don't know, three adults talked to him one day, and through the preaching of the word, he finally came and he said, hey, I'm ready to get saved. It wasn't one person. wasn't able to, to win him to the Lord. Um, for whatever reason, it took multiple people witnessing to him and talking to him. And for you, it might take multiple people in your family talking to the same um, family member, getting them into church. You know, I was approached by um, uh, somebody this week who is trying to get um, their family member more involved in church. And I have a, 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 a relationship with them as well. I'm, I'm, know them as well, and say, hey, I'm trying to get them involved in this area. Would you help me in this particular area? I said, absolutely. It's going to take some teamwork to reach this person uh, uh, to be more involved in the church. And, and oftentimes that's what it takes. It takes more than one person. It takes us working together to be unified to reach the lost. So much more can be accomplished whenever we work together. Whenever we're on board in unity. Psalm 133.1 said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. They work together. Number four, they were imaginative. They were imaginative. These four men arrived at the house. They saw the crowd. They said, well, I don't know how we're going to do this. They had to come up with some out-of-the-box, an out-of-the-box um, strategy to get their friend in there to see Jesus. Tried, going, tried asking people? Nope. Tried to go through the window? Nope. 
All right, well, let's go through the roof. Uh, in order to reach some people for God, then we're going to have to be imaginative at times. It's going to take thinking outside the box. It's going to take some other strategies. It might not just take, hey, what do you believe about Christ? It might take something more than, hey, would you like to come to church with me? It might take um, something else to entice them to come to church with you. And that's why we do special days. That's why we do stuff like Teacher Appreciation Day this Sunday. You know, we're doing it because we want, we truly do want to show the teachers in our community that we're appreciative of the investment that they're making into the, the next generation. But we also want to get them in and expose them to the ministry of Fellowship Baptist Church. And if we can entice them by saying, hey, we're going to have a bunch of giveaways, and you have the opportunity um, of, to win a gift card or an espresso machine or something else, then we're going to take advantage of that and, and, and use that opportunity to get them into the Lord's house. That's why we do stuff like trunk or treat um, next month. Um, not just so that we can have another thing on our calendar um, or so that we can have something to do on, on Halloween, but it's going to bring in a lot of people onto our property that normally wouldn't get on our property. And, and they're going to get an invitation to church and a gospel tract and um, every single one going to get the gospel exposed to. So that's why we do stuff like that. And um, for you, when you invite other people, sometimes it's going to take being a little bit more imaginative. Use your imagination. For you, you might have to pick up their Saturday shift so that they can, be, so that they can go to bed and they can be at church on Sunday morning. You may have been inviting them, inviting them, well, I work Saturday night. I can't, you know, I work till midnight Saturday night or, or I work all night Saturday night. I can't make it. Um, or whatever. You might have to pick up a shift. You might need to um, offer to pick them up for church. Remember when um, Emmanuel Serrano was here, he would have um, some friends he would be trying to get to come to church, and for some of them, what he had to do, eventually, was he had to leave. They wouldn't come to Sunday school. It was too early for him. So he left after Bible study at 9.45, drove up to the college, picked them up, and brought them to a 1045 service. Because he wanted, his, he wanted his friends to be at church. And for you, it might mean that you have to go pick them up on Sunday morning to make sure they come. Because they said they're going to come time and time and time again, and they failed to show up. Um, but it might need you to go by and pick them up. It might, um, entice, you might have to entice them with some lunch. Or something. Hey, if you come, I'll take you out to eat. I'll feed you lunch. Who can say no to free lunch? Surely someone will come to church and you offer them lunch. But whatever it is, it might just, you, sometimes we have to be a little bit more imaginative. Use our imagination. Um, um, use other tactics to try to um, uh, um, expose them to the gospel. These guys were imaginative. They tore a hole through the, church, through the roof. Don't tear a hole through the roof, please. <laughs> please. Um, I don't want to replace more ceiling tile. Um, <laughs> But be imaginative. Use your imagination. And the number five, the fifth thing, they were prepared to pay the price. They were prepared to pay the price. Uh, they were prepared to give up their day and make sure this man made it to see Jesus. They didn't say, hey, well, you know, we're trying to go see Jesus and, 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 and we really don't have time to, 
to, to carry you all the way across town. I uh, really don't have time for that. They didn't get there and, and, and say, you know, whenever the thought was brought up to tear a hole through the roof, say, you know how expensive that's going to be to fix the roof? I want to fix the roof. Said, oh, come on, we can all pitch in. We can all help. We, you know, I got a cousin that fixed roofs. You know, I got a friend over here. He fixed roofs. He'll fix our roof. All right? We'll fix roofs. It'll be okay. We'll split the cost. No, they were willing to pay the price that it took. They're willing to pay the price of making the homeowner pretty, pretty upset. Uh, pay the price of, of um, risking their own health, carrying them up there. Uh, they're willing to pay the price. What kind of price are you willing to pay for your friends to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? What kind of price are we willing to pay? Are we willing to uh, put our reputation on the line in the workplace, let everybody know that, that we go to church and that we actually care about other people's souls? Are we worried to, um, are we willing to uh, possibly offend them, to get upset and mad that we invited them to church? Are we willing to pay the price of a meal? Are we willing to, to pay the price of, of picking up an extra shift to, to uh, free them up so that they can come to church? What are you willing uh, uh, to pay? Are you willing to come out of, of your comfort zone in order to reach them for the Lord? Whatever it takes. These four men saw their friend, saw the condition that he was in. They said, hey, the only way for him to be healed, for him to be helped, is through Jesus. So they cared for him. They acted. They worked together. They used their imagination. And they're willing to pay the price. For us, you know, when we see our lost friends, our lost family members, our lost co-workers, and, and, and we think, man, what are we willing to do to reach them with the gospel? Are we going to care for them? Follow through that care with some action? Work together with other Christians to reach them? Use the imagination of then, of then what price are we willing to pay? Willing to break out of our comfort zone? Do something that we're not normally comfortable doing? Uh, pay, a, pay for a meal or something? Five things that we should be able to identify with as we reach those around us, bringing them to Christ, just as these four men did. They had this attitude, whatever it takes. We're going re- to get this guy to Jesus. Is that your attitude when you are talking about your, um, uh, those lost in your life? Whatever it takes. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I come before you. Thank you.